0: It was it was a really great Advent and Christmas season, wasn't it? Yes. Wasn't it great? With all of those ancient traditions from the, the four weeks that anticipate the incarnation of Christ to, to Christmas Day itself and then followed up by the Feast of the Epiphany that we celebrated last week, uh, commemorating that day that the wise men arrived in Bethlehem to worship Christ and, and to bring Him gifts. And, you know, of course, there's another tradition that we observe this time a year secular one and that's the making of new year's resolutions i didn't say the keeping of them i said the making <laughs> of them but you know there's there, there's something about hanging a, a brand new calendar on the wall that convinces us that somehow we'll have the willpower to do all of those things that we were failing at uh, really miserably just the day before it, it's kind of the the triumph of hope over experience right hope that uh, we're going to lose weight or or exercise more or learn to spend less. And, and this morning, I promise I'm not going to tell you how to become thinner or smarter or healthier or richer because I'm not sure I would have a whole lot of credibility in many of those subjects. <laughs> but what I would like to do is suggest one resolution for your spiritual life, one resolution that each of us as followers of Jesus Christ ought to make as we enter this new year, uh, one that... If we would truly make and keep it it would transform not only our lives But it would revolutionize this church and i'm going to show it to you on the next slide But I don't want you to say it yet I don't want you to do it yet or say it until the end But I want you to know what we're going to be talking about This is the resolution that i'm going to call you guys to make at the end of the message but you're not ready yet But that's what I want to focus on today as we come to psalm 76 but then also to, to do that by answering the questions that immediately spring to mind when we contemplate making a resolution like that, the first of which, what is God's will for me anyway? Right? And then number two, even if we know what it was, how am I going to have the strength and the willpower to keep it when I can't seem to keep any of the other things that I promise to do? So let's let's jump in here together, and we're going to start looking at this. And just before I read the psalm, by way of background... Uh, If if you're new back with us because grandma you haven't been with us in a while We're still on the psalms Uh, But if you've been keeping track, you know that today takes us over the halfway mark in our journey through this uh, Book of 150 of the sacred songs of god's covenant people And you know really and truly I hope it's been as much of a learning and growing experience for you as it has been for me Because I'll tell you I, I confess there's always just this little element of fear each week as I start to work Uh, on the message wondering how and if the text of the next psalm in the lineup is going to also fit into the rhythm of the church's liturgical year that we're also following through uh, that has all of its emphasis on those significant events in the life of our lord and then thankfully the holy spirit reminds me in the words of martin luther who said uh, this this psalter of ours ought to be a dear and beloved book to us because it promises christ's death and resurrection so clearly so typifies his kingdom that might well be called the little Bible. And so in other words, that's the Spirit saying to me, Hey dummy, uh, everything in the Psalms is about Jesus. Uh, they all point to him in one way or another. And today's Psalm 76 is no exception. Uh, as we come to the liturgical Sunday set aside for the commemoration of the baptism of our Lord. But but you got to listen to it with your spiritual ears to see to see there the Lord's life of obedience and submission to the will of God, uh, and, and one that uh, our Lord Jesus exemplifies and vows to keep as he comes up out of the waters of the Jordan River. So just listen to this, uh, Psalm 76. I'll be reading again today from the ESV version, and you've got to kind of listen to it with your spiritual ears. So Psalm 76, which is uh, entitled or uh, superscribed to the choir master with stringed instruments, a song of Asaph, and remember these last three weeks we've been looking at songs that Asaph wrote, a song, and he writes, in Judah, God is known, his name is great in Israel, his abode has been established in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion, there he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war, Selah, and you remember Selah just means stop and think about what you just read. And he continues, Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. All the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From heaven you utter judgment, and the earth feared and was still. When God arose to establish judgment, to save all the humble of the earth, surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you will put like a belt. Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared, who cuts off the spirit of princes. Who is to be feared by the kings of the earth? And so that's that's just the the brief account from Psalm 76. But I want you to kind of let that marinate in one part of your brain. Uh, For a minute while I read you the really brief account of our lord's baptism in the jordan river and then see how this all pulls together So this is uh, from matthew uh, Chapter 3 beginning in verse 13 if you're following along the baptism of jesus uh, by his cousin john Matthew tells us then jesus came from galilee to the jordan To john to be baptized by him Uh, John would have prevented him saying I need to be baptized by you and you come to me But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So, John's baptism that we just read about is a little different from our Christian baptisms. This this wasn't baptism in the name of the Trinity, but it, it was a baptism that Matthew calls and the other Gospel writers call a baptism of repentance. And its focus was on the need for the people of God to repent from their sins because they were in breach of the covenant that God had made with them at Mount Sinai. Basically, they'd broken their word. They'd broken their promise to God Uh, Even after they'd seen the Lord rescue them by defeating the Egyptians at the Red Sea and leaving Pharaoh's armies, uh, in the words of the psalmist today, with both horse and rider laying stunned, and where he he broke their flashing arrows and their shields and their swords and their weapons of war. But now God's covenant people have been invited back. They've been invited back into the wilderness and back to the waters of John's baptism a baptism that was symbolic of their need for cleansing and for renewal of those covenant commitments that their ancestors had made but then here here comes jesus and here he is standing in line to be baptized but why why would he do that i mean he had nothing to repent of did he he, remember, he was, as John the Baptist had said previously, if we'd read the verses leading up to it, he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But now Jesus is standing in the waters of the Jordan River asking John to pour water over him in public. And this wasn't even like a, a little private devotion they did. And to do it in front of thousands and thousands of other men and women. Uh, some scholars have suggested there may have been as many as 300,000 people who had come out to be baptized by John in the course of his very short career. Uh, and they came from all over. They came, according to the scriptures, to a place called Bethany beyond the Jordan. A place that was uh, already by that time well-traveled in the first century with its road from uh, Jerusalem onto Jericho, routing this constant flow of traffic of religious leaders and and merchants and soldiers and tax collectors or other travelers you name it through that region and you know i think it's really interesting here because as with all other things in the life of jesus this place was no accident of geography that uh, that area had real historic significance to the people of god because it was the first region of israel to be conquered by foreign invaders in the days of the psalmist Asaph that we've been reading about it was the touch point Of Asaph's distress when he's writing these last three psalms that we've looked at over the last three Sundays As he saw his homeland ravaged and his people forcibly deported But because of that Because that was the first place to be punished It was it was the place. It was the land that god promised his people would be the first place to see the messiah And I bet you you already know that, but you don't realize it. And I'll tell you why. Because the same Old Testament passage we read at Christmas time in Isaiah 9, with that great promise that says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You guys know that one? But do you remember how it starts out? Listen to how it starts out in Isaiah 9. It says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs from Jordan to the sea, does it sound familiar? Will be filled with glory. The people who walked in darkness will see a great light. And for those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And brothers and sisters did it ever. Just as prophesied, the light of the glory of God that shone down as the heavens opened and the Spirit descended. And so for Jesus to launch His public ministry there uh, by John was a major proof that God keeps His promises to His people. He keeps His promises to us. But I'll tell you, it was an even better picture of the example Christ sets for us and how we are to, in the words of the psalm that we read today, in Psalm 76, 11, make our vows to the Lord our God. And not just make them, but perform them. And here's why. Because you have to picture this. Here's here's Jesus, as I said a moment ago. He's standing in the waters of the Jordan where either John is pouring water over him or or lowering down beneath the waves, maybe both. But he didn't need a baptism of repentance, as we said. He didn't have any sins. He didn't even need to repent on our behalf. He could have looked at us and said, uh, hey, you folks are on your own. But instead, he identifies with us he begins that process of what's been called the great exchange because you see we need righteousness to be acceptable to god but we don't have it do we what we have is sin and god has what we need but could never earn and that's righteousness so what's god's answer to the situation his answer is in jesus christ jesus christ the son of god who not only died in our place and bore our condemnation but lived in our place Fulfilling everything that the law requires. Keeping all of the, the laws and, and the vows and the promises that we couldn't. And that's uh, just what biblical scholars call his active obedience on our behalf. And I tell you that because it's not just some little theological curiosity. It's an important distinction because, you know, if we're to be reconciled to God, we need more than just forgiveness for breaking his law. Okay? Okay? We also need the righteousness of one who kept it perfectly. So we hear all the time, and I preach all the time about Jesus, his passive obedience on the cross when he died, that terrible, painful, horrifying death that he allowed to happen to himself for the payment of our sins. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, Christ did more than die for you. He lived for you, and he lived for me. And when he did, he kept every holy commitment that we could never keep. He performed every vow and every jot and tittle of the whole Old Testament and lived out a lifestyle of total obedience and submission to the will of God. Otherwise, think about this for a minute. Why didn't he, if he wasn't going to do that, why didn't he just descend straight down from heaven, go directly to the cross, and be done with the whole thing in one weekend? Really, think about that. Why, why live some 33-odd years on the planet knowing what he was facing, what he was headed to, Why not just get it all done on day one? It was because we needed both. We needed what Christ has done for us through His passive obedience on the cross where He paid our debt with His death, but we also need His active obedience in the sinless life that He lived. Willingly, actively, obeying God's regulations in in all manner of other acts and, and things that Jesus did that lead up to that moment to that moment in the Jordan, to Jesus' baptism. And in all of that, He's bringing us life. And and when He comes up out of that river, something extraordinary happens. You you have to try to imagine this. The Bible says the heavens opened up. Just imagine that for a minute, what that would look like, the heavens opening. Now, there's there's some really wonderful paintings that have tried to depict it, uh, but how could you? As the Spirit descends now making Christ's baptism in this context rather than being done for His repentance, it's instead an anointing by the Holy Spirit in preparation for His ministry in the three holy offices that Christ vowed to fulfill. The offices of prophet and of priest and king. And so so Jesus comes up from the waters of His baptism and He has this vision of the heavens open and the glory of God. But that's not all. He hears a voice. He hears a voice from heaven that says, You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And God is saying he's the one that the Bible tells us comes as the second Adam. The one who could live out the life that the first one couldn't. And now he's standing on the banks of the Jordan hearing, in effect, God say to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done for trusting in me even when it made you look silly in front of your cousin John who thought your two roles should have been reversed. Well done for being obedient to the signs and types and symbols of cleansing by water even when you didn't need to do it. And well done for keeping your eyes on my will and my plans and my purposes to redeem a covenant people for myself. And and so by now, honestly, you may be saying to yourself pastor okay I, I understand how the psalm that we songs we've been reading these last three sundays how they work into his baptism and i know he kept his promise to god and he did his will uh, but pastor i'm not jesus and you're no john the baptist and, and and i personally have have never seen heaven spring open and i wouldn't know a dove from a pigeon if it landed on me so 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 how does any of that stuff that you've been going on about for the last 15 minutes help me make, much less keep, the vow you're going to ask me to make at the end of this sermon? And here's how. Because the Bible says, Jesus, this high priest of ours, understands our weakness. For he faced what? All. He faced all of the same things that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive His mercy and we'll find grace to help when we need it most. See, that's how Jesus' life of obedience not only set the standard, but gives us the strength to live out our commitments to God and to trust and obey Him like that great old hymn says. Remember, uh, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and, trust and obey. obey. Right. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for all who will trust, trust and obey. And then in fellowship, sweet, we will sit at his feet. or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear only. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust, trust and obey. And you know, Christ, the Word of God made flesh for us, is uniquely qualified to help us do just that. Because in the words of a commentator and Scottish church, Pastor William Barclay, he, meaning Jesus, came as a man. He came seeing things with men's eyes. Feeling things with men's feelings, thinking things with men's minds. And he continues God knows what life is like because God came right inside of it. And so Jesus Christ is not remote, He's not detached, He's not disinterested or insulated and isolated from our lives. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And He can see in us a reflection of what He experienced so that He can extend mercy to us completely. In whatever we're going through i love that just remember he had to learn what it what it meant to work with his hands he knew what it meant to get hungry he knew what it meant to fast and pray he experienced real anger and he learned to to trust god and to walk with him even though he went through his own period of the valley of shadows and we have to remember that we're being trained up under him And so today, no matter how dark or confusing or painful our experiences, we have the very best lead-by-example shepherd that any spiritual sheep could ever ask for. So so that when we look at our lives and we see our sins and we see our shortcomings and and we're tempted to be afraid and we're tempted to ask God like Asaph did today, uh, who, who can stand before you when once your anger is aroused? we know now because of jesus and if you were in christ we know that as we read this morning when god rose to establish judgment that it was also to save the humble of the earth and asaph wrote selah stop and think about that stop and think about that think of think of god's plan and his purpose to save a people for himself a people just just like you and me for no other reason than that he loved us And he says to us, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. And so now comes the question, will you do that? Will you humble yourself today and seek to do his will in this brand new year? Which brings me to that other question that's probably maybe the most important what is God's will for me anyway? You know, people, people ask that all the time. And thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of books and blog posts and seminars have been launched to try to answer that. And it's really sad because it's right in black and white in God's word. People just miss it all the time. Are you ready to hear it? Now, if you're in, I say this in Bible study in Sunday school, if you're one of those folks in the habit of underlining or highlighting in your Bible, this is one to do it with. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 this, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Our sanctification that is that continuing change worked by God in us, freeing us from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like affections and Christ-like attitudes. Uh, and no, it doesn't mean that sin is immediately eradicated in us, but it does launch a lifetime journey of real transformation, not just the appearance of one. That's it. That's His will. Your sanctification, my sanctification, lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit by the example of Christ's life of obedience to the glory of God the Father, so that we can go uh, into this new year not only ready, but willing and prepared and more than that, able to say this year, Lord, I resolve to trust in and be obedient to the will of God. Will you do that? Let's pray together.